stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Now we've had a few stories recently that have uh, surrounded the issue of Canadians abducted abroad. And it raises some big questions. First and foremost, what would you do if it was a member of your family, if it was a loved one? got themselves in some trouble overseas and was abducted by uh, a terrorist group or a group of criminals uh, who are making demands, including perhaps even ransom, what would you do? And I suspect most people would do whatever they could, and that's understandable. And so I think government needs to stay out of the way. If you feel that you need to reach out, get in touch with people who could maybe help rescue your loved one, you want to raise the money on your own to pay a ransom, Maybe you should be able to do that. Because for people, individuals, that's what matters first. They don't care about all this other stuff. Now, for government, it's a separate question. I don't think government should be seen to be paying ransom to terrorist groups. And I think certainly governments need to look at the specifics of the situation. And maybe if you did put yourself in a dangerous situation, maybe a lot of that rests on you. So the question of what government should do in response is maybe a different question from what individuals should be allowed to do. But certainly when it comes to Canadians, the government does have an obligation to try to address their interests. Now, you probably all remember the story uh, of the Boyle family. Joshua Boyle, his wife, and three children, all of whom were born in captivity. It's about five years that this family was held by an affiliate of the Taliban before finally being rescued by Pakistani troops in connection with U.S. intelligence. Now, Joshua Boyle is Canadian. His wife is American. And it seemed as though initially there wasn't much of a Canadian rule. But an interesting scoop today from uh, Stuart Bell at Global News, exploring where Canadians did play a role, perhaps even a key role, in this process that led to Joshua Boyle and his family being freed. And it raises a lot of these questions about how far families can and should go in situations like this, what the obligation is on the government to come to your rescue whatever your situation may be. Stuart Bell, investigative journalist with Global News, joins us on the line here this afternoon. Stuart, welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Uh, by the way, where, where is Joshua Boyle now? Is he back in Canada? Yeah, him and his family returned just over a month ago, and they're now living just outside of Ottawa. And it was certainly uh, an unusual case in many respects, but uh, what we knew is that there were Pakistani troops involved, uh, there was a, intelligence from the Americans involved, but what have you learned now about this Canadian angle? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we knew Pakistani forces had uh, had rescued the family, and there was a suggestion that uh, it was done based on U.S. intelligence that had been provided, but the rest of it we really didn't know. Um, and some of that we're hearing now from a private consultant that was hired um, by the family about six months ago um, at a stage where I guess they were concerned that there just wasn't much movement happening. It had been over four years, and uh, they ended up bringing in this uh, private company based just north of Toronto just to try and perhaps more aggressively push things along. Tell us a bit more about this company. Now, this is a, a former uh, CSIS uh, official who runs this? Yeah, that's right. It's called the Eisen Group, and the CEO is a guy named Andy Ellis, who was one of the top officials in CSIS uh, until he retired in January 2016. 
And um, so he now runs this company, which it specializes in trying to teach um, employees of companies how to avoid getting kidnapped, but also um, if they run into trouble overseas, um, it helps. You know, it sort of uh, guides uh, people uh, in ways that they can get out. And this is what they were um, they were trying to do in this uh, in this scenario with the Boyle family, and it's it's really quite fascinating. Um, what uh, what they did. I mean, Mr. Ellis said that uh, it was quite a telling quote that often when when uh, victims of kidnappings come home, people assume that they were either, either released or um, you know they escaped. But often there's much more going on behind the scenes, and that's what we learned in this case. There was an awful lot going on uh, in different ways to basically try and pressure uh, the kidnappers into a, a point where they would just want to get this over with. Well, and yeah, that's an interesting approach because uh, usually, you know, we, we end up resorting to having to pay ransom or, you know, what can we do to give in to the kidnappers' demands in a situation where ideally we would avoid that. So what else can be done and what was done here then? Well, the government, uh, government of Canada was taking one approach, which was to try and use diplomatic channels um, to reach the Taliban and the Haqqani network, which is affiliated with the Taliban, which was holding this family. But, you know, it had been a long time, and I'm not sure that approach was really going to work with a bunch of uh, of terrorists who aren't exactly rational. Um, so what uh, what these uh, what this company did, and this company, the people that run it, are they're basically covert operators. I mean, those are those their skills, uh, making things happen in a clandestine fashion. They uh, they began to recruit sources within Pakistan, people that could both give them information on what was happening on the ground, but also to begin to put pressure on uh, people and institutions who would then put pressure on the kidnappers. So they they did this sort of discreet campaign. Um, part of it was based on trying to spread the message that um, that kidnapping or harming women and children, and I forget there was, uh, you know, there was Joshua Boyle, but also his wife and the three children that were born in captivity were being held, was to sort of send the message that what they were doing was against uh, Islamic morals, and uh, so this this was part of their campaign to create a state of mind where the kidnappers would begin to doubt what they were doing, feel that they were um, being ostracized in some way by people they looked up to, and then just want to get it over with. And uh, so that kind of pressure campaign went on for some time. And eventually, I guess, uh, it involved pressuring the the Pakistanis or convincing the Pakistanis that they needed to kind of take a lead on this. Yeah, now one of the other things that they did, which is interesting, was uh, there's a fellow in Pakistan named Samuel Haq who's very well known. He uh, he's long run a cons- very conservative seminary in northwest Pakistan, and he's known as the father of the Taliban because all you know many of the top Taliban and Haqqani network leaders um, that uh, we now deal with have come through his school, and so there was an effort to, um, to Mr. Ellis, the company here in Toronto, began to uh, organize a visit to bring the Boyle parents over to meet Samuel Haq and to try and convince him to use his persuasion to put this to an end. Um, Interestingly, the government of Canada 
according to Mr. Ellis, uh, would have nothing to do with this. They thought it was too risky, and they wouldn't even help uh, the family get passports to to make this trip. But um, you can, uh, you know, it's all murky on exactly how this unfolded, but you can imagine that uh, the Pakistani government would not want the uh, you know the optics of having this family um, coming, and nor did the the, net, the sort of extreme armed net, networks necessarily want that, and so that may have helped create a climate which opened a bit of a window um, where this rescue became possible. And I mean, this whole ordeal raises some interesting questions and about how the Canadian government approaches these kinds of situations, because, I mean, ideally, Canadians wouldn't put themselves in a situation where this kind of thing can happen. And I know there were a lot of people critical of Mr. Boyle and why he was where he was in that part of Afghanistan. But in terms of ensuring the Canadians are, are informed about these kinds of things, but then also when things go bad, knowing what to do and how to deal with it, something that, that this story notes that... Maybe we don't really have um, any kind of coherent policy when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, yes, some people make bad decisions and get into trouble. But also, we live in a global economy right now, and com- Canadian companies have to be uh, around the world. They have to have a presence, sometimes in dangerous areas, especially if you're talking about sort of resource industries and, yeah. and new markets. And so it's just the reality that... Um, Canadians are going to put themselves into situations where they this could happen, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean the, the Canadian government approach, the way I understand it, is both one the RCMP works with its um, allied police forces to try and resolve kidnappings of Canadians, and second, um, Global Affairs Canada works diplomatic channels, but. Um, you know, it's this isn't always going to work. And you, this thing lasted five years. And uh, the point that, um, that Mr. Ellis is making is that sometimes, especially after five years, perhaps more aggressive strategy is needed. And um, our government doesn't seem to be willing to take uh, those kinds of risks that he and the family ended up taking. For example, by organizing this trip to uh, to Pakistan, it was a risky thing to do, but. I think they felt that, look, uh, something has to be done to push this along. And, you know, it's it's hard to even know um, if you look at recent cases uh, over the last couple of years, not just this one, but it's hard to know that we even sort of have a coherent policy or strategy for these things at all. Um, one of the issues that came up during this had to do with ransom. Prime Minister Trudeau has very publicly said that Canada will not pay ransoms. But what about private uh, families? Um, and this came up in this case in the sense that the family, uh, through their consultant, uh, had asked explicitly, can we raise money and pay a ransom uh, knowing that um, the people we're paying it to are members of a listed terrorist group? And they didn't seem to feel that they got a, a coherent or reassuring answer. It was sort of maybe, probably not... Uh, you know, that's just not going to work, as opposed to the U.S., which has outright clarified that um, while the government won't pay ransoms, they're not going to prosecute individual families for, you know, for passing the hat around to collect money for a ransom. Yeah. Well, fascinating story. More at globalnews.ca. Stuart Bell, appreciate this. Thanks for joining us here. Okay, thank you.
All right, investigative reporter Stuart Bell with Global News. Uh, for the first time, shining a light on the Canadian component behind the scenes leading to the rescue of Joshua Boyle and his family, but also raising some big questions uh, about how families, how governments address these delicate situations. Okay, when we come back, a big question, obviously, the Calgary is grappling with what to do with downtown. With the downturn in the energy sector, vacancies have skyrocketed, a situation that's not going away anytime soon. They're debating this at City Hall today. We will hear from Calgary Economic Development when we come back. Stay with us. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.